this beautiful Sunday morning, ushering in a season of thanksgiving for all that you've done for us. God, I thank you for our time here in corporate worship, something that you ordained and not something that we thought up a time for us to come together corporately and praise you and worship you and cry out to you, the God of everything we have, everything we are. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guess what I have here in my hand? Catalogs. Christmas catalogs. Isn't that wonderful? The next 30 days or so, you can count on getting four or five of these in your mailbox every day. That is unless you order something from one of them, and then you'll probably receive two catalogs. I don't know why it is that if we order something, they put us on the list twice. You would think, you know, they would be... And then there's one in the box, too, that they send. They just want to be sure you have seen every product that they possibly can in case you don't have uh, the internet or something. Catalogs. How many trees, you reckon, are represented right here? Tis the season to be... (laughs) I'm with you. What about discontented? Tis the season to be discontented. It's difficult to be in America at any time, but particularly during this time of the year, and be content during this holiday season. It just is. If we boil it right down, it just simply is very difficult for us. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with the desire to acquire. I think God put that desire to acquire within each one of us. It's kind of innate. He made little squirrels, and he gave them the desire to acquire little nuts. He made little birdies, and he gave them the desire to acquire straw and hay and sticks and twigs to make nests with. He filled this world with, with wonderful and fantastic things, things. And then he gave you and me a desire to acquire. So, welcome. So there's nothing really wrong with that desire to acquire. But the Bible says that any gift out of control is bad. And the Bible even has a name for this out-of-control desire to, uh, uh, to acquire. And... It calls that covetousness, covetousness. We don't use that word much these days. We would probably use the word materialism. But I thought in light of the advertisements that you're going to receive, going to get bombarded with on TV, in the newspapers, in your mailbox, over the next 30 days of this holiday season, it might be wise for us this week to take a couple of minutes to look at, well, what does God have to say? about being content, because that might be important for us today and in the weeks to come. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 6 says, it's better to be content with what you have. Otherwise, you will always be struggling for more, and that's like chasing the wind. You ever tried to catch the wind? It's an impossibility, absolutely impossible. What does coveting do to us? Well, I think it makes us 
always want more, more and more and more. And I think there's five problems that we can pick out for our lives that are caused by always wanting more. The first I would like to submit to you is fatigue, fatigue. Always wanting more causes fatigue. The race to get more drives us to overwork and work and work and work. Proverbs 23, 4 says, Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. I think this is most visible in the United States. Of all the places that I've traveled in the world, the United States is where it's most visible. I've got to get more. This rat race, I've got to be in that rat race. I've got to keep up with the Joneses. And just about the time I catch up with the Joneses, they refinance. Then I'm behind the eight ball again. I can never quite get there. I saw a bumper sticker down here. God is so good to give you uh, little illustrations to use. I saw a bumper sticker down on Highway 17 within the last two weeks anyway. And it said, don't worry about the Joneses. They just filed chapter 13. (laughs) The second problem is debt. The second problem is debt. Coveting destroys budgets. It tears up the budgets. We're always wanting more, and we live well beyond our means. Not within, but well beyond. Did you know that Milton Bradley created a game called Mall Madness? Mall Madness. Anybody know it? I, I, I was not even familiar with it. I read about it this week. No. Okay. I went down to Toys R Us to see what this was like, and they had one left. And it was a Hannah Montana edition of Mall Madness, so I didn't purchase that one. It said on the side of the box, though, these are the directions that it said, will you be the first to lose all your money? You're let loose in a shopping mall with 200 bucks. Go to it and spend it all. Empty your pockets first and you win the game. When you spend every cent, your marker moves triumphantly into the winner's space, the space labeled broke, and you win. What kind of game is that? I, I, was, I honestly was going to purchase one on eBay and have it here to hold up. For you. you know, I thought I could get it cheap on eBay. They had an electronic version on eBay for $134.95. So this is the best you're going to get. I'm, I'm not doing, uh, I'm not spending that money on a mall madness game. They surveyed teenage girls to find out what's the number one thing you like to do. And you know what it was? Sure you know. Shop, shop. 93% of them said shopping. It beat out dating for teenage girls. Can you imagine? What are we coming to? Shop, shop till you drop. My neighbor, uh, I was having a tree cut down, and my, my neighbor and I were talking, trying to determine which house it was going to fall on. And he said, If my wife doesn't go to the shopping mall at least three times a week, I send her a get well card. (laughs) So I guess this is pretty pervasive in everything that we do here. We think that the problem is that we don't make enough money. But the real problem is that we want too much. We want too much. We, We confuse need with greed. And they're very, very different. We don't need everything that we ever dreamed of. We don't. Honestly, we don't. Ecclesiastes 5.11 says, The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. I love Ecclesiastes. You, You ought to go read this in one of the more modern languages. It's a funny, funny book. Uh, Dave Ramsey in Financial Peace has this 
one sentence that he uses, and I've heard it now, I guess, ten times that we've run the course. So it's not mine, but it's his, but how true. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Is that not true? I mean, think about that. Who are we trying to impress? It causes debt, the desire to acquire. It causes, it, it always costs us to have more. I mean, yeah, maybe the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, but their water bill is also higher, I'll bet you, and fertilizer and all that other stuff today. We have a guy in one of our services, and I think he's cutting class today, uh, but he said to me a few weeks ago, he said, today I'm starving on the salary I once dreamed of making. once dreamed of making that salary. I've achieved that salary, and it ain't enough. It ain't enough. Let's say it. We always want more. The uh, third problem after fatigue and debt is worry. Worry is a result of always wanting more. Ecclesiastes 5.12 says, People who work hard sleep well, but the rich are always worrying and seldom get a good night's sleep. When you focus on things, you worry. The more you have, the more worries you have because you worry about saving it, you worry about investing it, you worry about spending it, you worry about protecting it, you worry about maintaining it, you worry about polishing it, you worry about avoiding taxes on it, the more you have, the more you have to worry about. Insomnia increases with income. Isn't that interesting? We think just the opposite. Oh, if I could just make $5,000 more, you know, I'd be on the top of the world. God said long ago that the desire to always want more will create worry. Always wanting more causes in the fourth place, conflict. When you add debt and fatigue and worry together, you get conflict. You get conflict. James chapter 4 verse 1 says, Don't you know where these fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that war within you. You see, when I want what you have, there's conflict. When I want your car, or I want your boat, or I want your house, or I want your wife, or I want your position, or your reputation, it causes conflict. There's going to be conflict. And the fifth problem is dissatisfaction as a result of always wanting more. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. There's, there's no doubt about it. Things can cause happiness in our lives for a brief time. But it's fleeting. They don't last. The thrill wears off. The fun goes away. The joy vanishes. The smell isn't there anymore. When you get something new, like a new, you know, whatever you just got, fill in that blank. You get a new, it's beautiful. But after a while, you don't even realize it's there. You don't even see it. You don't notice it. The reason why things don't satisfy it's because things don't change. But you do. And I do. We change. So we become bored with things because they don't change. They remain the same. That art object that you just had to have to go on your den wall, you know, that singing fish, all of a sudden it's no big deal anymore. Now, don't laugh. I know you've got singing fish on your walls at home. 
And, and by the way, Suzanne over here needs a singing fish for one of the plays. It's a prop that we've had trouble finding. Nobody wants to take it off their wall to, to give it, but she could use it for one Sunday. See her. That's why we call this thing fashion. It's fashionable sometimes, and then it goes out of fashion. The thing that you just had to have last year, that dress, that T-shirt, that pair of designer jeans, they're just old rags to you now. The jeans might have been old rags when you bought them. Uh, and they cost more that way. They don't change, but you change. So you become bored with things, the things in life. No matter how much you're thrilled with getting it, whatever it is initially, eventually you either redecorate or repair or replace or at least rearrange it so it looks different because things don't permanently satisfy you. How many of you are thrilled with the Christmas gifts you got last year? How many of you know what the Christmas gift you got last year was? I mean, here we are 11 months out, and isn't that sad? Now, I just want you to know that there is an entire industry, a billion-dollar industry, that's designed to create discontent in you during this Christmas season so that you'll always want more. You've got to have the newer version, the extra bells and whistles. You've got to have, I mean, what you have right now is not sufficient. We've got to move on up the ladder a little bit. So what's the secret of contentment? Learning to be content with what you've got. Proverbs 15, 27 says, A greedy man brings trouble to his house. And the antidote for that, Paul says in Philippians 4, 12 is, I have learned, that's an important word, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Contentment is something that we learn. We're not born content. You are not content at birth, nor am I. We are naturally discontented at birth. But Paul says contentment is something that you've got to learn. You've got to work at it. How do you do that? Well, there's three steps we can take, and that's where we're really going to focus most of the time today. The first step is this, that I need to take in order to be content. I need to be grateful for what I have. Grateful for what I have. Appreciate what God's already given to me. I need to open my eyes, see, recognize how much I've already been blessed. I need to realize that everything is a gift from God. Everything that you have is a gift from God. You say, well, not my house. I worked hard for that house. Well, who gave you the energy, the ability, the intelligence, the schooling to be able to work in the first place? Where did that come from? Everything you have is a gift from God. You wouldn't even be alive if it weren't for God. It's all a gift, so we should treat it as a gift. Possessions, abilities, relationships, whatever it is, gifts from God. Ecclesiastes 5.19 says, If God gives a man wealth and property, he should be grateful and enjoy what he has. It is a gift from God. That's the attitude that God wants you and he wants me to have toward our possessions. He wants us to be grateful for them. He wants us to enjoy the possessions we have because they're gifts from Him. I think one reason that we don't enjoy and one reason that we're not grateful about those gifts 
It's because we get ourselves into this when and then thinking trap. We all have been there. We, we, we may be there even today as we sit here. When and then thinking. It goes kind of like this. When I get, hmm, then I'll be happy. I see a lot of heads shaking. You've, you've, you've been in the same trap I have. When I get that promotion, then I'll be happy. When I make that sale, then I'll be happy. When I close that deal, then I'll be happy. When I get married, then I'll be happy. When I get out of this marriage, then I'll be happy. When we have kids, then we'll be happy. Oh, boy, when those kids go away, then we'll be happy. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. Keeps changing. When and then thinking doesn't work. So what are you waiting on to be happy? What is it that you would say, when I get this, then I'll be happy? What is it? No, you won't. You won't be. I don't care what it is that you're going to put in that blank. You're not going to be happy because discontent will drive you to always want more and more and more. I think we're as happy as we choose to be. And if you're not happy now, then you're not going to be happy then. It's not going to make a hill of beans worth of difference. Will doubling your income double your happiness? No. Some of you may have had that wonderful experience. Double in your income. You're not doubly happy. Will doubling the size of your house double your happiness? No. Doubles your mortgage payment, but it doesn't do anything really for your happiness. You've got to learn to be grateful for what you've already got. And I think one reason we're not grateful, maybe, is because by the time that we actually get that thing in our hands, we're already thinking about the next thing out there that we want, that we've got to have, that we can't live without. Isn't that true? Well, what am I saying here? What I'm, what I'm saying is the big idea for today, really, I guess, the message in a sentence. Happiness is not getting everything you want. Happiness is enjoying what you already have. Happiness is not getting everything you want. Happiness is enjoying what you already have. God enjoys watching you enjoy what he's already given to you. He loves to see you enjoy that. If you're a parent, I think you know what I'm talking about. You get something for your kids. It's a, it's a treat to get that and to give it to them. And then you enjoy it watching them play with it or use it. or you know, It just thrills them. And that thrills you as well. And your Heavenly Father loves to look down and see you enjoying what you've already got. Not, not constantly grasping for something new for something else, not being ungrateful. There's two ways. I, I didn't put this on your, on your handout there, but there's two ways, really, that we can uh, have enough to satisfy us. You can get more or you can want less. Sometimes we need to have our wanters adjusted because they're out of kilter. What's the key to a grateful heart? The key to a grateful heart is don't compare. Don't compare. Don't compare. Ecclesiastes, uh, Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians 10, 12 says, we don't dare to classify or compare ourselves. It is not wise. This is Paul writing. Paul says, this is dumb. This is dumb. 
to compare jobs, to compare income, to compare cars, to compare houses, to compare status. Why is it dumb? Because you look around and you can always find somebody that makes more income than you do. And you can get dissatisfied and envious of that person. Or you can look around and you can find somebody who makes less than you do. And then you become prideful and boastful. Both are wrong, God says. Don't compare. Don't compare your possessions with other people's uh, possessions. Now, if you go look at a model home, you know, they have these in neighborhoods around, or they used to when they were actually building homes. (laughs) Do they even do that anymore? Um, When you go to look at a model home, is that fun or is that depressing for you? You go into the house, you look, look at that, and Oh, honey, this is great. It's a, it's a decorator's dream. We just have to have this. I want, I want this sofa in the living room. And others of you come out of that model house and you say, look at the shack we live in. I don't think we have any two pieces of furniture that match. So you can look at it. Either way, when you go to a party, you look around and then you go home with your spouse and you say, did you see that furniture that they have? It goes all the way back to Louis Fourteenth, And ours? Ours goes back to Aaron's on the 15th. <laughs> Think about that one a little bit. Don't compare. Learn to admire without having to acquire. Learn to admire without having to acquire. Then you, know, then you can enjoy everything. doesn't matter what it is. You can enjoy a sunrise or a sunset, a walk on the beach, a stroll along a mountain stream. All that's free, and you can enjoy it. You don't have to own everything. Plus, you know, those things you don't have to make payments on. That's even better. Why do we compare? We compare because we're insecure. We're insecure in ourselves. We always want to check ourselves and say, well, how am I doing against him? I had a guy in the first service that was an insurance agent, and he said in, in the town that they were insurance agents together in if one insurance agent got a new car all the insurance agents in town got a new car the same week you couldn't let one get ahead of you and if it was a if it was a mercedes then you got a mercedes if he got a porsche then you got a porsche you had to you had to all have you couldn't have people thinking well they're not doing too well at that agency over there In our culture, we keep score by possessions. A person's net worth is supposed to to determine his self-worth. But that's not true. Don't buy into that lie. What God says is don't take your cues from culture. Take your cues from Christ. Don't listen to Madison Avenue. Listen to the Master. Listen to what he says. Society says you are what you own. And God says, no, you are because I own you. You're valuable. You're significant. I love you. 1 Timothy 6, 9 says, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are caught in the trap of many foolish and harmful desires which pull them down to ruin and destruction. Well, I guess it begs this question, is it possible to be both wealthy and spiritual? Uh, Yes, wealthy and spiritual. Materialistic and spiritual. Could you be both of those things? Let me go with the wealthy. That's even better. Wealthy and spiritual. 
I can think off the top of my head of people like Abraham and Job and Solomon and David who were the wealthiest men of their times, the more wealth than the rest of the world put together at their times. Yet they were all men of God. Yes, it's possible. It's possible. I need to be grateful for what I have. And God always has used wealthy people to bless others. The second step is this. I need to be generous with what I have. I need to be generous with it. God doesn't just want to bless you for your own benefit. It's not your happiness. He wants you to share that whatever it is that he's given to you. He wants you to bless other people with it. I almost made this the big idea, but changed it uh, late last night. God doesn't judge your giving on how much you give. He judges your giving on how much you have left after you've given. He doesn't care about how much you give. That's not important. Remember the widow's might? It was dropped into the offering plate. And Jesus was ecstatic about her gift. It's not how much you give. It's how much you have left after you give that matters. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 says this. Tell those who are rich. And let me kind of... Uh, Let me kind of stop right there. Tell those who are rich. That's referring to everybody in this room. Every last person in this room that can hear my voice is rich compared to the rest of the world. Wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Most of the world is worried about where their next meal will come from. We go home open up the cabinets stuffed with food and say, no, we don't have anything to eat. Let's go out. <laughs> Let's go to Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I said to you a couple of weeks ago when we were looking at the uh, persecuted church that most of the world would love to have our problems. Most of them would love our problems. We have no problems compared to the rest of the world. Even the poorest of the poor in South Carolina would be rich in any of the rest of the world. It's hard to believe. If you haven't traveled the world, third world countries, I'm not talking about cruises and that sort of stuff. If you haven't traveled to other countries and seen the poverty that's there, you have no idea. You can't begin to wrap your brain around how people live from day to day. So he's talking about you and he's talking about me. Tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. Tell them to use their money to do good, to give generously to those in need, always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up real treasure for themselves in heaven. It's the only safe investment for eternity, and they will be living a fruitful Christian life down here as well. God says, go ahead and make as much money as you want to. Just use it for the advancement of my kingdom and for the good of other people. But Timothy tells us, Timothy didn't tell us, Paul tells us in this letter to Timothy that there's four precautions you should take. The first one is this, he says, don't be proud. Do not be proud, he says. Don't think that you're better than somebody else because you got more than somebody else. Don't let that be a part of your thinking. The second precaution is this, don't trust in your money. Why? Because you can lose your money. There's as many ways, if not more ways, to lose your money than there are to make money. And it can happen. And some of you sitting here today have had that happen. You know the examples. 
Third precaution is this. Use your money to do good. Don't waste it. Don't squander it. Don't blow it. Use your money for good. Fourth precaution, give generously to those in need. God wants us to be generous, doesn't He? The Bible says very clearly that those who have more are to give more. And if we look back at that uh, question I asked you a little while ago about the antidote for materialism, giving, giving is the only antidote to this disease that we call materialism. Giving is the only antidote. Coveting, it's called in the Old Testament. It's the, it's the, it, the opposite of getting is giving. The opposite of getting is giving and vice versa. So every time you give, every time you're generous, and I, I'm not talking about giving to the church. I'm not talking about tithing. That's not what this is about. I'm, I'm talking about your time and your money and your energy and whatever, whatever else it might be. Every time you are a generous person, you are winning a spiritual victory over materialism. Every time. Think about how good you feel when you give to someone else that needs it. You break that grip of selfishness in your life. Notice the uh, benefit of giving that was talked about in that Scripture in Timothy. By sharing with others, it says, by doing this, you're storing up real treasure for yourselves in heaven. It's making an eternal impact. Well, then why aren't we more generous? I mean, it's a no-brainer. It looks like we would be. People say all the time, I, I can't afford to tithe. I can't afford to give. I want to tell them that my feeling is I can't afford not to. The truth is that we're not willing to let go of some stuff, some things, some money That's, that could be used for us in order to use it for other people and other things around the world. There's some things that we're just not willing to do without. We may all have those. Yeah, I'll give up everything except that. My giving reveals my spiritual maturity. My giving demonstrates the direction of my heart. My giving reveals how much I love God. My generosity shows what I'm really like inside. And Jesus said, there's more happiness in giving than in receiving. The truth is, as a parent, I love to give to my kids, and my kids love to get. But you know what the real thrill is? It's when you live long enough to see your children grow up, and they enjoy giving and enjoy seeing those gifts used. Kind of warms your heart. You know that you've at least done something right when that takes place. When your Heavenly Father looks down at you and sees you being generous with other people, using your money for something good rather than spending it all on yourself, God goes, that's my boy. That's my, boy. That's my girl over there. They're doing what I made them to do. See, God's generous. And you and I are most like God when we're generous. God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. God's a giver. And if you want to be like God, you'll be a giver too. 
Every time you're generous with your money or your time or your energy or talents or whatever it might be, anytime you're generous, God's looking down and saying, that pleases me because you're being like your Heavenly Father, and I'm proud of you. I am so proud of you. You're not only storing up treasure in heaven, but you're living an abundant, full Christian life here as well. I need to be grateful for what I have. I need to be generous with what I have. The third step is I need to be godly about what I have. I need to be godly. About what, I, what I mean by that? I'm saying you need to maintain the right perspective about your possessions. Possessions aren't bad. They're not bad. Elizabeth Elliot once said, uh, everything you have can be either a tool or an idol. Just how you use it. 2 Corinthians 4.18 says, We fix our attention not on things that are seen, but on things that are unseen. What can be seen lasts only for a time, but what cannot be seen lasts forever. God's saying, look around you. Look, everything here. There's not a thing here that you can see that's going to last. Nothing. It'll all pass away. Everything, cars, stereos, furniture. Eventually it'll rust and decay and deteriorate and fall apart and wear out and return to dust and hair fall out. Nothing's going to last. Civilizations pile on civilizations. Some of you have seen that in travels or, or history studies. But it all just turns to dust. It all turns back to dust. On the other hand, God says that the things that really count in life are the things you can't see, like your relationship with God, like your relationship with other people. Those are the things that will last. He says, fix your attention. Focus on what's going to last. Give your attention to permanent values. Renovate your life with eternal priorities. Because things don't prepare you for eternity. You can't name a thing that prepares you for eternity. And when you stand before God at the end of your time, He's not going to ask you, hey, how much money's in your bank account? He's not going to ask you, what all did you get, did you accumulate in your life? But He might very well ask you, what did you give? That's what I mean by a godly perspective on your possessions. I think within the last six weeks in one of the messages I said, the greatest things in life aren't things. They're not things. They're not things. This that you get every day in your mailbox. <laughs> they say that the whole purpose in life is to get. Get, 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 get. Life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. It's the way it goes. But God says, no, the whole purpose in life is based on what you give. What you give. So I think we need to do these periodic checkups once in a while. Sorry you happened to be here today when we did our checkup. 
as we begin this holiday season, I think it's good for us to think about, ask ourselves, what's my primary goal in life? Is, is it just getting more? Is that my goal, to get more and then more and then some more? What do I spend most of my time thinking about? What do I spend most of my time talking about? What am I living for, really? Really, what am I living for? Your last blanks there on that handout almost were my, uh, my big idea for today. Don't ever confuse what you're living on for what you're living for. Huge difference. Don't ever confuse what you're living on with what you're living for. Psalm 17:15 in the Living Bible translation says, "As for me, my contentment is not in wealth, but in seeing God and knowing all is well between us." Discover your worth in Christ. That's where your value lies. That's where you find satisfaction and security for your life in your relationship to God through Jesus Christ. comes right down to a lifestyle choice. Will my lifestyle be determined by Christ or will it be determined by culture? Will I listen to Madison Avenue or will I listen to the Master? I hope today you will choose to become a more grateful person, a more generous person, a godlier person. And if you find yourself caught up this morning in that rat race of life with all those many problems, fatigue, debt, worry, conflict, dissatisfaction, I invite you today to step off of that treadmill and apply God's values to your life. And one way that you may be able to do that is with these. Aren't these pretty? I think you were given one when you came in. Aren't these pretty? I actually ordered nice, pretty ones, and they didn't come in. So you got these at last minute from Staples instead of the pretty ones. We'll have pretty ones next week. But that's, uh, For Renovation Church, we do a lot of giving outside the church. We give to the community. Lots of different functions in the community. We give to foreign missions. I think about 20-some percent of our budget is spent on giving because I feel a church needs to be a giving uh, organization. We need to set the example. If the church isn't giving, how do we expect anybody else to give? And we check out pretty carefully what we're giving to to make sure it's not being wasted on the other end. Uh, We feel very confident, actually, about where the money goes, particularly to overseas things. We check on those. But I was thinking as I was preparing this, why don't we why don't we give to ourselves? We have some people within our church, maybe not destitute, but certainly not well off. Wouldn't it be nice if we could apply what we've just heard here today to make this Christmas time just a little more pleasant for those people? And maybe maybe they could buy gifts for the children if they didn't pay the power bill. For the month. 
Why shouldn't we be able to make that, make both happen? Why should it be a, a problem? I, I know this is crazy. I said in the first service it's a pipe dream, I guess. But I'm thinking our little church could give $5,000 in all three services. We're actually going to requisition from the people that aren't here today because there's, <laughs> I don't know where they are. Uh, but in three services, we could, we could come up with $5,000 to use for giving a nicer Christmas to some of our own family. Some of our own family. Be an opportunity for us to just see what we can do and what God can do. Let's partner with Him. I don't want you to do anything with these today. I noticed as I walked around collecting communion that people had put some of these in there already. My instructions to first service are the same as they are for you. Don't do anything with these envelopes today. Take them home and pray about it. Don't make some emotional uh, decision because of the message that you just heard. Pray about it. See what God wants you to do. I don't want you to take away from your giving to the regular church budget because we do have two rents, two electric bills, two water bills, two insurance bills. I mean, right now, it's, it's, it's tight. But I think we can do $5,000 above that and above all the building stuff. And, you know, this has nothing to do with the building. It has to do with our own family. So consider that, pray about it. And uh, if you don't particularly like these, I will have the new envelopes next week that are prettier, and you can use one of those instead of, of these. But we'll be collecting the next three weeks uh, so that it gives them some time. If we do it for three weeks, it gives them time to make some purchases for Christmas.